If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, the first passage we'll be looking at will be found in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we have started a series entitled Measures, so how am I doing? Uh, the genesis of all this came from the uh, new mission statement that our church has adopted. And the mission statement that we have as our church is this, is that is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. This is a mission of our church as a whole, which means that that means it's a mission of us as individuals. That's how a church is made up of the individuals. And so you see something like this, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. The question would come out as to, well, how do you know if you're doing this, how do you know if you're successful in sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ? And the only way you can know that is on an individual basis to where you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, am I being a transformed person that's being sent out to influence my world for Christ? And so in this measure series, there are six questions that we will be asking that each one of us needs to ask. And as we do a periodic checkup, on how we're doing, we just go through these questions. And we begin to ask ourselves, ask the Lord, so how am I doing on this? And when we give you these six questions, just like I said last week, we encourage you to take them, write them down, put them in your wallet or put them on your uh, iPhone or iPad or put them there, there in your house somewhere uh, to where you're on your desk that you can constantly be reminded about these six questions which what they are is their measures. They're measures. So how am, I, how am I doing? Well, last week, what we began was what we called 50 days of standing in the gap. And we started last Sunday. We'll carry this through until uh, November 20th. And in 50 days of standing in the gap, we're asking our members to do three things. Number one is to intercede for our nation and the presidential election. The presidential election gets more and more crazy almost every day. And so we constantly need to be praying for that, for our nation, as we move towards this time. But second of all is we're asking you to internalize these six measures. Each week when we receive one of these measures, we're to take that, internalize it, and pray about it. And say, God, I really want to get some direction in this. And then last of all, we've asked people to intentionally pray and fast. Now, we talked about this, that uh, praying and fasting, that you choose something throughout the week. Something that you want to give up or sacrifice to kind of cut out the competition so I can spend more time with God. It could be a food, could be a meal, uh, could be a, a social activity. It's your choice. But it's between you and the Lord to say, God, in this busyness of a week, I want to have some time where I can just focus on these things. Pray for our nation. Pray for the presidential election. Pray about these measures. Pray for our church. And then hopefully, as we come to the end of those 50 days, these measures will be internalized in each one of our lives. And so last week, well, as Michael said, we asked the first question. And the first measure was this. Have I met with God today? Have I met with God today? Have I deepened my relationship with him and understand my identity in Christ? And from understanding that identity in Christ, there's this overflow of good works that are to take place. You deepen your relationship with God, understand you're created in Christ Jesus, and through that, there are works. You're his masterpiece. 
for works to be done for him and works that you're to live in. And so you ask yourself the question, have I met with God today? Have I truly met with God? Not just check the box, but truly met with God today. So the second measure is one we'll talk about today, and that is, am I giving or taking? Am I giving or taking? In life, there are two kinds of people. They're givers and they're takers. Now, I want to let you know that there's, and it's interesting, I thought about this before I walked out. I saw somebody in the hall, and it just made it even stronger. Taking and receiving are two different things. There are givers, there are takers, and then we all are receivers. We receive. People do things for us. We receive the gifts or, or the time or money or attention they give us. So we're all receivers. But yet there is these delineation between those who are givers and those who are takers. Givers are people that are generous with their resources and generous with their time. They invest their life into others and they're willing to serve others. They're sources of encouragement and they're willing to sacrifice if need be for others. They are givers. But then there's another group and it's called the takers. The takers, they're stingy with their resources and they're stingy with their time. Their focus is more on themselves and they're constantly taking from you with no regard for your schedule or for your needs. Sometimes takers are called joy suckers. <laughs> they just suck the joy out of your life. And, uh, and we all know some that are takers. See, some of you are saying, yeah, the person next to me, but don't talk to them about that, all right? We've got people that you divided into these two categories as some that are givers and some that are, are takers. But yet there's seasons in our lives to where we all can go either one way or the other. Because there's sometimes in our lives to where we're more givers, but then there's sometimes in our life where we are more takers. Maybe we are a little stingy. Maybe we are thinking more of ourselves than others. And so a constant question we need to ask, ask ourselves and ask God is, am I giving or am I taking? At this season of my life, am I giving or am I taking? And so my experience has been is that when people are givers, these are some of the happiest people on the planet because they're just pouring lives into others. Where takers are sometimes the most miserable people. And so as you're walking through life and you're measuring where you are in becoming a transformed person who's sent to influence others for Christ, it causes you to stop and to pause for a moment and say, at this season, am I one that's giving or am I taking? And here's a statement that I'd love for you to remember, and that is this. It is that it is not the duration of life, but our donation to life that counts. It's not the duration of life, but our donation to life that counts. It's not just how long you live. It's what you do with the life that you have. And that's where the word donation is. You pour into the lives of other people. You're a giver. So am I giving or taking? I want to give you some uh, points for you to think about so you can understand how can you be a giver. I mean, because as we sit here, some of us say, you know, I'd like to be more of a giver. How can I do that? And when I begin to look at this measure, how can I determine what is giving and what is taking? Well, I've, I've got about six things for you here, and so I want you to write these down. Here's the first one. How to be a giver. The, the foundation for giving is God's grace. 
Now, this is what we need to underscore everything, and this will set you on the path to being a giver. The foundation for giving is God's grace. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapters 8 and 9 are, um, are uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and uh, they are taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. They're going through a lot of persecution. They're going through difficulty. And so they've gone to the other churches that were planted and asked them to take a special offering to send that money to Jerusalem. And so as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's encouraging them to stay with the offering. And many times when we preach this passage, all we think about is the giving of money. I want you to put on kind of your uh, expansion hat and see that this is more than just the giving of money. This is giving of our time. This is giving uh, of influence. This is giving of uh, encouragement. This is a giving of others, okay? Now, as he's writing this, you come to verse 9, and in verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he went from rich to poor. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the one who's sitting uh, there in heaven in a throne of power, as he's sitting there, he says that I will then leave that, step down to this earth, become poor, give my life so that you can be rich in grace. You see, the foundation for giving is God's grace. And if Jesus Christ was willing to step out of heaven onto earth, to live this life for close to 33 years, and then to go to a cross and die a death for our sins, and then be raised from the dead so that we could be adopted into the family of God and that we could have eternal life one day. If Jesus was willing to do all of this, then we should be willing to part with some of our possessions and some of our time in order that we may benefit others. You see, the foundation for giving is God's grace. Now, giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but it's a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. You see, sometimes we get this, we get this turned around. Uh, we need to understand we love because God first loved us. We give because God first gave to us. And it always starts with God's grace. And so when I understand of what Christ has done for me, then when I have an opportunity to be a giver, giving of my time, giving of my resources, it's not me showing God how much I can do for him. It's a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. You see, when I'm able to do this, to give to others, I'm just telling them, hey, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus because this is what God has done for me. And I'm just illustrating how much God has done for us. That is our foundation. So it always starts with God's grace. So are you giving or are you taking? Have you experienced the grace of God? And it's the first thing that every person needs to ask is, have I experienced the grace of God? Salvation is there for the taking. It's a gift that's been offered to us. Have you accepted that gift? And if you sit there and say, yes, Lord, I have received that gift, that starts you on your foundation of giving. Am I a giver or am I a taker? So once I understand that, you go to your second measure, a uh, second point. Here's the second point. He says, give yourself first to God, then overflow with generosity. 
Give yourself first to God and then overflow with generosity. In this passage, when they're asking them about their, uh, about their giving, look what he says in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing the church at Corinth, and he says, let me tell you about all these churches in Macedonia. I'm going to give you a testimony as to what they did. And he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wow. (laughs) They've got severe affliction, but they've got overwhelming joy. And even with with the affliction and the joy, when they all came together, the result was a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. What we'd ask them to do was to give an offering. You know what they did? They said, we'll go above. And he said, I didn't ask you. I just asked for this. And they said, we're going up over here. But then look what he says. He says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Here's the thing. Give yourself first to God and then overflow with generosity. We talk about the church at Macedonia. We say, wow, they gave and and they just gave over and above. The reason they did was because they gave themselves first to God. And even Paul said we weren't expecting this. That was their allegiance. That was their priority. And they said, we understand the first point that Danny said, and that is that the foundation of all giving is the grace of God. And so we've given ourselves to God, and once we've given ourselves to God, then automatically there's this overflow of generosity. So if if you want to be a giver, not a taker, then you give yourself first to God, and then you overflow with generosity. You know, when you hear a young man over dinner say to his date, he says, marry me, and I will give you the sun, the moon, and the stars. And when dinner is over, he asks for separate checks. When you hear that, you begin to ask, is his commitment really there for this person or not? But you see, the same thing is likewise when we say to God, we say to God, I love you so much that all I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. However, I never give any tangible expression of that love. And so if I never give any tangible expression of that love, then the question is, is your commitment genuine? You see, it starts right here with giving yourself first to God. When I give myself first to God, and then then there's this overflow that will begin to take place, an overflow of generosity. And you start with understanding and you embrace the fact that came grace first, and then there's joy, and then there is giving. You see, the grace of God leads to an abundance of joy that then leads to an overflow of generosity. Now, this is important because so many times we say, well, I'm going to give, and when I give or do things for other people, then I feel joy. Well, that can happen, but this is how it should flow. The grace of God leads to an abundance of joy. I'm so thankful because of what God has done for me in my life. I'm thankful I'm a part of his family. That grace of God leads to the abundance of joy, then that results in an overflow of generosity.
It's not that I give to be joyful. It's that I'm joyful and thus I give. So it all comes back to that first one, that foundation of God's grace. And when I understand that, I say, Lord, I'm just so thankful. Thankful that you saved me. Thankful you give me whatever resources you've given me because you own it all. And because of the grace of what you've done for me, you have given me great joy. And because of that great joy, I then want to overflow in generosity. And I want to be generous to others. And whether it be giving of my funds or giving of a time or giving of encouragement or just giving of my skills and talents, I want to do this as an overflow. So are you giving or are you taking? Are you giving your first priority to God and seeing an overflow of generosity? Or are you taking for granted the grace that you have been given and you're just selfishly holding on? Either giving or you're taking. Give your priority to God and then give to others. Or are you taking for granted the grace that you've been given and just holding on selfishly? Time, money, whatever. Third point is this. So generously, reap generously. So generously, reap generously. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians in verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What that means is that the law of the harvest, which we know, is you reap what you sow. So we know one thing, if I I plant tomato seeds, I'm going to get tomatoes. But it's also saying is that if you just do a few seeds, you'll get a small crop. If you plant a bunch of seeds, you'll get a bountous crop. And and this is true in every day of life, that whatever we reap is what we sow. If you're judgmental of other people, other people will harshly judge you. If you're critical of other people and you're constantly nitpicking at them, guess what? They're going to be critical towards you. If you gossip about other people, people will gossip about you. Whatever you give out, you're going to get back. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you give out encouragement and you sow affirmation and kindness, people are going to be affirming and encouraging and kind to you. If you sow love and you're loving to other people, people can show that love back to you. And so whatever you reap, whatever you sow is what you will reap. So we have that opportunity, that choice of what the seeds are that we will plant. But then he says, you sow generously, you'll reap generously. And so that comes back to the amount. And so you plant it. Like I said, small, few seeds, you get a small crop. Bunch of seeds, get a, get a big crop. And so he's encouraging us to sow generously. All right? And as he's talking about what the church has done in Macedonia, he says they are sowing generously. And because of that, they're going to reap generously. And they're going to receive blessings of God. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Wow. The one that supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, he's going to supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, we have a tendency to hoard what we have, hoard my money, hoard my influence, hoard my time, and fail to give it to those who need it. And fail to help others. We fail to invest our lives in other people. And so we so sparingly, so fearful that we're going to lose things, that we just don't have enough. 
And so I'm going to, to be nervous about if I can give this or if I can invest uh, my life in someone here. But God's economy is different. He says, give generously and you'll reap generously. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says this, one gives freely, yea, he grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. Now, you look at something like that and it's just completely opposite. You know, God's economy was you give and he says, and God says, I will bless you. Now, I don't want you to go out here thinking this is a TV evangelist uh, thing of where, hey, give a seed gift and you'll get rich uh, overnight. Send those checks in to Danny Wood. That's capital D, A-N-N-Y, W-O-O-D. Don't put an S on the end. And uh, the bigger check you send to me, the bigger God will bless you, okay? Uh, no, nah, not, saying, not saying that at all. It's God telling you and me that no matter how much we are entrusted with, that we are to be generous in our giving and we are to trust God to take care of us. You see, whatever God has given us, that's what he has entrusted us. And when he's entrusted this amount to us, he's saying, I want you to be generous with it. I want you to be generous. And he says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I love when I talk to people about about tithing and people get into that uncomfortable subject. And, um, you know, in all my years of living, I've not had one person come up to me and say, well, we're bankrupt because we tithed. Yeah, if I just hadn't done that 10%, we'd be okay right now. He said, man, lost the house, lost the car, lost the dog, lost it all, man. It was because we tithed. Not at all. But, you know, I've got countless stories of people who said, well, we didn't know how we were going to do it, but we made a commitment that we would say, God, at least the first 10% we want to give to you. And we're going to give you the first fruits of what we make. And then they will come back and say, "Ah, I can't explain it, but... You know, God's just been really gracious to us. And, uh, and we're doing fine. And we're doing fine. And see, this is what it, the writer of Proverbs says, is that when you give freely, you grow all the richer. And that's just not money. That's when you give of your time to people, you grow all the richer because your heart's been knit together with them. You see a great illustration of ones that are just your givers? It's what you have in your worship guide, part of our shade stories with Mabel Prescott and Vicki Griffith of just their relationship. And it's a beautiful picture of two people who are givers. And as there's time they're giving, then they're also receiving. But God has honored that. And you see these two women whose hearts have been knit together. You see, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. But another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. You just hoard things, and you just suffer want. You know, um, sometimes when we think about giving, uh, we always think that's for wealthy people. And I know that at times people will say, well, once I get to this level, then I'll be able to give. Or once I get to this point in life, then I'll be able to give of time or whatever. You know, My experience is that some of the most generous people I've ever met are the people who have the least. When you go on a mission trip, and many of you have, and you travel overseas, when you travel overseas, it's almost uncomfortable of how much that people want to do for you and give to you. Because you've come from the United States, or you're the pastor, or you're a Christian, and you've come to their country to be able to help give the message of Jesus Christ. 
And then they invite you to come to their house or their shack or their lean-to. And when you walk in, they put the spread out. I mean, they, they've got this meal fixed for you. And, and you, my mind just starts racing and saying, I just know these people don't have very much. And, I, and for them to put all of this into this meal, and these are my mouth and maybe others from our team or extra mouths to be fed. How is this all going to happen? They don't even think twice about it. And then they always want to give you a little gift. Okay, you just feel terrible. You just feel terrible almost accepting it. But this is this is from them. It's from their heart, and they said, "We want we want to give this to you." It's unbelievable. And in some of the poorest areas, you see people who've got such a generous heart. And, and then you see the way they are with others over there. And you get back on the airplane and you fly back, and you you keep trying to figure it out. You, you try to figure out what was different over there than it is when I get back over here. And a lot of times we say, oh, it's the rat race over here. Or, oh, it's this or oh, it's that. Or we have so many competitions for our time and things. But, you know, I, I think the, the, the longer I, I, I've, I've thought about this, I, I think what I take home back, back home with me is the generous spirit that they have. That it is just so rich and it is so rewarding. And, and there's, there's, there are people who really appreciate and they appreciate you and they're hospitable. They appreciate because you're a Christian that's come to share in their nation. You're a guest in their home and so they're going to be hospitable and they're going to take the time for that. Wow. They're, the generosity is amazing. And so it causes us to stop and think, am I giving or am I taking? Am I, am I one who um, is constantly looking for the needs of others and, and trying to, to give to them? And, and am, I give, am, I, am, I, am I sowing generously out there or am I sowing sparingly? Uh, am I giving or am I taking? Sow generously and you'll reap generously. Number four is this, and that is to give with an attitude of joy and cheerfulness. I love this part. Give with an attitude of joy and cheerfulness. If you looked in chapter 8, verse 2, remember he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They said they had an abundance of joy. And then you come to verse 7 of chapter 9, and he says, Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God is more concerned with your attitude toward giving than the size of the gift. Cheerful giver. Don't want your whining. Don't want your complaining. Don't want to be reluctant. They don't want to sit there, and when you're trying to help somebody out, and they say they need some help, and you say, okay, I'm going to write a check to you and give this to you. God's guy's not really honored with all that. He's not really caring about the size of the check. He's wanting to know the attitude. Now, this statement I'm getting ready to put up here, we're going to read it a couple times because I don't want it to be too confusing on there. But uh, the issue is not how much you have or do not have. Okay? Let's get that right there. The issue is not how much you have or do not have. doesn't matter if you got a lot or got a little. But your attitude about what you do not have and your generosity with what you do have. Think about it. Your attitude about what you do not have. When you live over the mountain and people are trying to keep up with the Joneses, 
No matter how much we have, at times, we've got a bad attitude because we don't have more. Because we wish we had that person's house or that person's car or we had their vacation or you name it. And then all of a sudden, we're sitting there and we've got this bad attitude, even though we've been blessed beyond measure and we're richer than, uh, what, 95% of the world probably. And, And we're sitting here and we're complaining because of what we don't have. He says, your generosity with what you do have. So when we think about um, giving with an attitude of joy and cheerfulness, first thing we need to do is take, take an attitude check on what we do have and say, just I'm thankful for what I do have, Lord, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape for the things that I don't have. And the things that I do have, I want to be generous with that. We should give our money, our time, our encouragement, our service because we love to give, not because we're forced to give. Don't give grudgingly or reluctantly. Give joyfully and cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I remember I visited some churches where when they would announce the offering, everybody would clap and cheer. <laughs> they said because there's, there's a passage in Scripture, there's some Greek words that talks about offering means hilarious. And so I heard the pastor get up and he says, now we're getting ready to have the offering. And everybody cheered. I said, whoa, what is this? And, uh, and he explained it. It should be a joyful, happy, hilarious time. And so this should be us. Am I giving or taking? Well, if I'm going to be a giver, I need to have an attitude of joy and of cheerfulness. Do you have an attitude of joy and cheerfulness? Or is there a reluctance and dread? Number five, be a channel that God uses to bless others. Be a channel that God uses to bless others. First Timothy chapter 6 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. As he's closing out this letter to this young pastor, look what he says. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So for those that are wealthy in the congregation, well, according to the world standards, every person here is wealthy. So this applies to all of us. Verse 18 They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Those who have been blessed with much, this is what Paul says for them to do. Do good, rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, he put the focus, yes, from their giving there to be generous, but he put the focus on the works, the good things that they do, and they need to be ready to to share. He's saying they need to be a channel that God uses to bless others. God is using me to be a blessing to other people. This is how we learn to be generous. Is when God blesses me, I then turn around and I try to bless others. And then God gives you more opportunities. I fully believe that when God entrusts you with something and whether it be a talent, maybe time, it may be money, that when you take that and you invest it in others and use it to bless others, God in turn gives you more because he knows he can trust you. And you see, what he's doing is, for some of us, he may increase you uh, financially. And it's not so that you'll increase your standard of living, but so it'll increase your standard of giving. Because he says, I know I can entrust you more because when you take it, you give it out. And... Um, you know, I remember the old story where a guy gave a testimony about how much he gave. He gave a ton. And as money was coming in, he'd go out. And 
Somebody says, how in the world does that work? He says, I don't know. He says, uh, you know, I shovel it in and I shovel it out. And he says, the only thing I can explain is God's got a bigger shovel. And he keeps giving me more. And then I keep sending it out. And, and, and God blesses that way. And the same thing for the gifts he's given. Some of you, have, of, whether it be encouragement or some talent or some skill that you've got, that you can take and you can invest in the lives of others to help them through this life. You know, for some of you, you saw these parents standing across here. Some of these were first-time parents, and they're clueless. <laughs> they have no idea what they're getting into. And, and so what they need at times is some people in this church who say, you know what, I've raised some kids. I'll be glad to help. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's someone that gives up a call one time and says, hey, you guys need a date night. I'll be glad to come by and, and, and babysit for you. Maybe it's when somebody is, is down and, and we can go and say, hey, let me go do your yard work for you and cut your yard or look after this or that. Whatever it may be, there's things that we can do. But, but you, you see, we, God blesses us so that we can bless others. Now, we are a very generous church. And, and the giving of this church is incredible. Um, you, you know, I, and I don't want to go into too much detail on this, but we have a budget of seven and a half million dollars, and then we got our Make Jesus Known, which is another million dollars. And you talk to any pastor, or, or you, really you talk to any um, fundraising group, and their first question to me, a fundraising group, uh, when we do a capital campaign is, how many million dollar givers do you have in your church? I say zero. They say, well, that's impossible. You can't be a church. No, zero. All right, so how many $500,000 givers do you have in your church? Zero. And in fact, I had one guy who thought I was lying. He was at the convention, walking along the convention floor and kind of grabbed my arm and said, no, 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 you can be honest with me. It, it, it's true. I said, I'm being honest. <laughs> I, said, I don't know what everyone gives, but I do know, like, they'll tell me what the top number is. And I said, we just have a lot of people that give generously, a lot of people. We're not dependent on one or two or three or four families. We're dependent on everybody. It's everybody that gives. There's that generosity. And because of your generosity, we are able to help church planters and others and missionaries all around the world. You know, we put a big emphasis on New York City. And... Um, one of the missionaries that we, excuse me, the church planters that we have introduced you to and came to our GIC was a guy by the name of R.C. Sylvanus. Remember, he's from Nepal, and uh, his wife is from India. They have moved to Queens, New York, in order to reach Nepalese people. And in the midst of that, their son is still over in Kathmandu trying to get visas worked out to get over here. Well, R.C. is an incredible evangelist. He has been living in Brooklyn, and has to commute to get to Queens, which is a long commute in order to be in ministry. So his desire was to find an apartment in Queens. And he looked, and he looked, and he looked. And he finally found one. And he found an apartment. I may be wrong with the number, but it's close. About $2,200 a month. Okay? Two-bedroom apartment in Queens. And he didn't have the funds for it. I found out, I called them, looked at our Make Jesus Known, I looked at our chapters uh, budget that we had, we had money there. I called, I said, Shades Mountain, we'll take care of that. Get that apartment. You guys get moved into Queens and begin your ministry there. We became a channel of blessing to him. He moved in the apartment, he sent me a picture to show 
that we were a channel of blessing, but he was a blessing to others. In this apartment, in this picture, this is a young man that he's discipling. And when he first moved in the apartment, you see the abundance of furniture that he has uh, right here. When they moved in the apartment, one of the first things he did was he invited this guy over and they go through discipleship and they have a consistent time together, this new believer of explaining what it means to walk in Christ. You, because of your giving, are a channel of a blessing. R.C. takes that and now he is a blessing to others. So, are you giving? Are you rich in good works, ready to serve? Or are you taking? And let me give you the very last point, and that's this. Live for the dot, live for the line and not the dot. You see, it makes absolutely no sense. Good. Come back next week and we'll explain. No. Live for the line and not the dot, and I'm going to explain very quickly. Live for the line and not the dot. Verse 19. When he says you're to do these rich and good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You're setting up a good foundation for the future. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, talks about the dot and the line. And that if you take these, the dot is today. This is present world. This is where we live. The line is what stretches into eternity. We each have to make a choice. Do you want to live for the dot for today, this present world, or do you want to live for eternity? And if we're going to be generous people, it means that I don't want to live for the dot just for today. What I want to do is I want to live for eternity. There are two things that will last for eternity. Y'all remember what the two things are? The Word of God and the souls of people. The Word of God and the souls of people are the only things that will last for eternity. We as a church, we invest with the Word of God and teach our people that so that you can learn about God's Word, you can live it out, and then you live that out and uh, you bring others to know who Christ is. That's what we want to do, all right? We're living for the line. The Word of God and the souls of people. So when you think about where you want to invest your time, your money, your expertise, your gifts. Do you want it just for the dot or for the line? And if we guide our minds to where I'm living for eternity, then it'll cause me to see this world a little differently. And I may go out of my way to be a little bit more generous to someone. I might give a little bit more of my time. I might see a needy person or a poor person or someone that's hurting and invest a little bit more time with them because I want to live for eternity. And I, by investing my life in them, they may come to know Christ as Savior and this will affect their life for eternity. Or do I just want to stay in my own little bubble and just live for the dot? My hope and prayer is that we would do our investments for the things of eternity. So are you giving? Do you have a kingdom mindset when it comes to using your time and your resources? Are you living for eternity? Or are you a taker, living for the dot and focusing only on the here and the now? This week, I want to encourage you to continue fasting and praying for our nation. I encourage you to internalize this measure. And I encourage every one of us this week to ask ourselves the question, am I giving? Or am I taking? So how are you doing?
Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you this day for the gracious, generous gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. And because of the generosity that you have shown and that you have given to us out of your love, when we take advantage of that and receive that gift through faith, we become your child. And Lord, we're living not just for the here and now, but we're living for eternity. And so I pray, Lord, that each one of us will take inventory of our lives and express thanksgiving to you for the grace that you have given us. And then from there, build on this life of generosity to be those that are givers and not takers, but to be used by you to bless others. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never made that first decision of receiving you as Savior, that your Holy Spirit has touched their heart today. And that they too will say, you know, I, I want to live on the line. There's got to be more than just this dot. And may they come to that point where they want to ask Christ to come into their heart and to start a new life. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.